Okay, so tonight, um, the, the lesson title's been on the screen for a while. I, I wonder if it provokes any thoughts. Um, I'm excited. This is my excited face and voice, um, unless I'm, I guess, at the, on the softball field. But I'm excited to um, bring this lesson to you all. Um, I will try not to be too geeky, but um, uh, we'll talk about some application in a minute. Um, but what do you all remember of Genesis 22? Who remembers at least what the chapter is about? Genesis 22. And then we'll get to some more details. Uh, isn't that um, where he's sacrificing Isaac? Yeah, so he is whom? Uh, so Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac. What else do we know about, what do you just remember from lessons, stories, reading it, personal devotions, Sunday school as a kid? Abraham trusted that God would provide and he wouldn't have to sacrifice his son because his promise was to Yeah. He definitely trusted God and we'll, we'll consider whether he, we know for a fact that he trusted God. We'll see whether he trusted God to prevent the sacrifice or to resurrect Isaac. So those are a couple options. What else? He actively obeyed. Yeah, it's a great example of active obedience. We should see that in the reading, even if I don't emphasize it, because he he responds immediately. God says, go now, and he went. Anything else? Okay. Well, I'm sure you're going to hear some familiar things as we go through, and I trust that you'll find and learn some new things, because I learned a lot of new things along the way, and that's part of what I find um, exciting. And so uh, we're going to talk up front purpose and application. Um, and, and then I'm going to repeat it at the end if I remember to copy the slide and put it at the end. But we're going <laughs> to... I actually... Standing here now, actually, I have no idea if I did or didn't. Uh, but I want you to think... I want to tell you the applications now so that you can think about it throughout. Um, because a lot of what we're going to be spending time doing is looking at the passage and trying to draw some things out of it. And I am connecting this passage with John 8, uh, 56. That was the other half of the, the title, Abraham Saw My Day. And so we're going to tie it to that. And so one of the biggest things I want you to get from it is to gain a better understanding and appreciation of Scripture. Um, I believe that these passages teach us that God is faithful to his promises from the very beginning. And I picked the Proto-Euangelium because we're talking about the, the gospel. Um, so from the beginning in Genesis, God said, I'm going to send a man who will make up for this sin. And we, we see types throughout, but he's faithful. Um, he was faithful to the Abrahamic covenant. And, and more, but we're, we're going to see some of that. 
So here's um, a little bit of play on words that'll make sense in a little bit. But um, I want us to consider that Yahweh who sees, sees to it. God sees, God knows, God provides. So that's some of the application. Um, We will see that uh, and be reminded that God the Father gave His one and only Son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's not new, but we're going to be reminded about it, and it's good to think about the implications of it. Um, It's pretty powerful to think about the fact that Yahweh provided for Himself a lamb, and He Himself was the lamb in the second person of the Trinity. We're going to see that emphasized in this story. And then uh, we're going to see a connection between, um, through Christ, all the nations are blessed, and in Him we have our salvation and our hope of a future resurrection. We're going to see a type in Isaac, but Christ is what we, what we want to emphasize in the Gospel. So, if you would open your Bibles to John 8.56, and, um, and even... If you stick a, a finger in there, you can open to Genesis 22 as well. But we'll start quickly in uh, John 8, uh, 56. Actually, I'm going to read 52 through 59 for context. John eight fifty-two is where we're going to start. This was actually the impetus, well, I'll tell you, this is partially the impetus for my lesson tonight, um, as, as, um, as I read John, John 8.56 and kind of wondered what Jesus meant by the saying, um, but I had been doing some studies in Genesis 22, and it's a pretty fun chapter, but I actually am making a connection between the two. So what are we talking about? Uh, John eight, fifty two. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And so, there's a whole lot of meat in this too. Um, but I was always, I always wondered what, what did it, does it mean that your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. And, and frankly, commentators don't spend a lot of time talking about the implications of this. Most of them tie it back to something um, in one of the, the visions of the Abrahamic covenant. And so you'll, you'll see just references like Genesis 12 or, and, and between 12 and 17, they'll throw some stuff out there. I found one that alluded to Genesis 22, but they don't really talk about it. 
for what it's worth, the Syriac church fathers from about the 4th to 9th century AD in their writings, they're making the connection. So I'm not out here flapping on my own. Uh, I believe it's a, a legitimate. And, and like I said, some commentators mention it. They just don't go to it in, in detail. Um, and so uh, when, when I was helped along with this connection, um, I found it enjoyable to study. And so I hope to answer that today. Um, and uh, it's pretty powerful. We're not going to look at, at, at the, the text long, but when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, I hope that rings uh, in your minds what's really going on because he is claiming to be Yahweh. Um, and, uh, and they took it like that and they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, the, the top verse is the New King James Version and the one underneath it is my translation. And it's only just to make one thing just a little bit more clear um, because um, you, can, you can understand your, your father Abraham rejoiced, rejoiced to see my day. It can, the grammar's there, but it can be a little bit confusing. And so I prefer to say rejoice that he would see my day because then it helps it be more emphatic when, you say it, when, when Jesus says, and he saw it, and he was glad. Does that make sense? Just that little bit of clarification. So Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, so he was longing for it. And then Jesus says, he saw it, and he was glad. And, and I'm arguing that it was more than just a vision. Some, some say that um, the whole descendant in the, the, the whole idea of Jesus descending into hell and that he saw Abraham. There's a lot of convoluted things out there. But now I want you to turn to Genesis 22, and we're, gonna, we're just going to work through it. Okay. I'm going to read Genesis 22, 1 through 19. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and said to him, Abraham. <laughs> and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for, the burnt, for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son... God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So uh, the, the first thing we see in, in verse 1 um, is that the text tells us that God is testing Abraham. Um, he, he calls Abraham uh, for this test. So it's announced to us as the reader that they are about to encounter a unique situation of testing. And so I infer from this that when, when uh, testing is announced, that this is outside of God's normal interaction with people. And so we need to be prepared for some, some kind of interesting series of events um, in this testing. And it reminded me of at least one other biblical testing who might you think of when you hear a test from God with unique challenges? Throw me a name. Job. Yeah, so that's the one that came to my mind. Any, anyone else? Jesus went, Jesus went through some significant testing in the wilderness. 40 days, nights. Good. Um, verse 2. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So what is the purpose of the repetition here where he says, Your son, your only son, and how or why is Isaac the only son? That was a loaded question. Let's start with, what is the purpose of repetition here, do you think? Your son, your only, the one that you love. Hi, Knox. Emphasis. Yeah, there's some emphasis there. How, how, if, put your place in, in uh, take Abraham's place in your mind. And here he's saying, take your son. Your only, the one you love. Sure, that's like all he's got. Like it was his promised one too. Yeah. Or it was a blessing. It was, yeah. God blessed him with that time. I hear see some people mouthing Jesus. So that that rings true, right? It, it we we're seeing echoes from the New Testament. 
Um, what else? Why, why, would, why wouldn't God just say, grab Abraham, your son, and go? Abraham, grab your son Isaac and go. All right, you keep thinking about that. I'm going to add the, the second layer of the question, which was, think how or why is Isaac the only son? Is Isaac the only son? Who else? What? Ishmael is another son, right? So, so how is how is Isaac the only son? That's a great answer. Yeah, because Isaac is the son of promise. And there's one other reason. If you remember some details, say again. And that was actually critical as well. So. He was the son of promise, and God had said, it's going to come from Sarah. The son's going to come from Sarah. And then there's one other minor thing that... So Abraham actually sent Hagar and Ishmael away. So technically it's still his son, but he sent them away. And so now Isaac is the son of promise, Sarah's son, um, and the one whom he loves. Not to imply that he had no love for Ishmael, but you can understand the semantics. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. It's interesting when considering this um, that Abraham, since he had received this direction from the Lord, it took three days to travel. And especially um, the Syriac church fathers read a lot of connections, a lot of figurative uh, implications as, as it looks forward to Christ into it. And so... Um, figuratively speaking, we can see in the labeling of this three days that Isaac was dead to Abraham for three days um, since God had told him to sacrifice his son. And that's going to become relevant um, shortly. Their purpose in going was, Abraham said, we're going to go worship. And this is an obedience to the express command that God said, go sacrifice at this place that I'm going to sit, uh, send you, um, a burnt, uh, offer up this burnt offering, the sacrifice. Since Genesis 3, um, I'm thinking Genesis 3.21 and 4.4 4, and, and, and throughout um, Leviticus and, and onward, uh, the intent for sacrifice was to demonstrate the requirement of blood atonement for sin. So blood was required. However, it is possible that... Abraham avoided the term sacrifice in, in, in favor of the term worship in order to draw attention away from the fact that he had nothing to um, sacrifice. And so it's possible, even though it might have been in the minds of the two young lads, and eventually Isaac asks, there's no lamb. So they've planned the fire, they've planned the wood, they're at the location, and he just says, we're going to go worship. 
Again, Isaac's going to bring it up in a moment. Um, Abraham, however, was convinced that the two of them would return in light of God's promise. Um, Genesis uh, Genesis 21.12 says that, But God said to Abraham, For in Isaac your seed shall be called or named. So uh, he is the seed of promise. And so Abraham is thinking, some way or another, we're coming back. Now, it is reasonable to think that he wouldn't have to sacrifice, um, but there are many implications as well that he assumed that he would have to go through and obey. And so he was doing everything that he was called to. And if you can, you can keep your finger in Genesis 22 and turn to Hebrews 11. And we're going to look at Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So uh, the implication there, based on the author of Hebrews, is that in Abraham's mind, he expected to have to kill his son, burn him on the altar and that God would raise him from the dead all in the matter of time for him to return together to the the two young men. And uh, it's in this text as well that, that ties the idea of death and resurrection in the figurative sense. So uh, again, as far as Abraham was concerned, his son was dead for three days and after the end of this trial... He basically received him back alive. And uh, we see a a hint of the resurrection there as well. I got a question. Yeah, absolutely. So like in verse 8, or Genesis 22, 8, so I see Hebrews, but then it seems like Abraham knows too that God will provide a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's possible that um, it, it could be either because maybe he thought one way or another as in God will either provide um, or through resurrection or he could actually be thinking I know you don't know it now but God's providing you as the lamb I just don't want to tell you yet but it's also prophetic um, I don't think Abraham I'm, I'm certain Abraham didn't know it was prophetic but it was prophetic in the sense that God would provide both then and future. So, now in verse 6, Isaac or Abraham took the wood of the offering and he laid it on, on Isaac. Um, the, wood off of, the wood of the offering, like the lumber... And the timber of the cross was laid across the shoulders of the sacrifice. And so here too we see a tie between Isaac and Christ. 
And um, we note as well that the fire and the knife are still in the Father's hands. And I thought this was compelling to consider as well, because even though Christ went and gave his, himself willingly, we see that it was um, the Father who wielded the, uh, the fire knife, so to speak. So I, I liked how uh, one commentator of Genesis 22 phrased this. Now Isaac becomes both the beast of burden carrying the wood, verse 6, and the sacrificial lamb. And so he's carrying his wood just as Christ did. Now, the text does not tell us how old Isaac was. This pericope is placed between the birth of Isaac when Sarah was 90 years old in Genesis 21 and at her death uh, at 127 years old in Genesis 23.1. Genesis 21.8 notes that he was weaned. So he was a minimum of three years old, but I would argue that he would have to be at, at least between, at least as old as five. But I'm going to say the minimum is probably more like an adolescent. But he could have been a teenager up to 37 years old based on what the text tells us. Or even technically 3 to 37 because it goes right from this incident to uh, the death of Sarah. Though we can suppose that there was some span in between. But some church fathers said he must have been 37 because... uh, Genesis 23.1 comes next. What do we know? We know that he was old enough to carry the wood uh, by himself. Um, However, regardless of his age, we still have to presume that he was quicker and faster and stronger than Abraham was because however old Isaac was, Abraham was 100 plus. So he is an old man and his his son, I'm, I'm at the age where now my uh, third eldest son is faster than I am, at least in the sprints. And I'm not even half 100 yet. So that being said, what's compelling is that whatever Isaac's age was, the implication is that he went willingly. Verses uh, 7 and 8. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father... And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for he himself, uh, for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. So the narrative slows here in verse 9 with each step, step captured. So before it was like big things were taking place, three days pass. But now, little by little, things are coming closer and closer together. And then it stops at the climax of the moment when Abraham has raised the knife to slay his son. In verse 8, God is emphasized as the actor by being placed first in this clause. And so, um, verse verse 8, where uh, the New King James says, My son, God will provide. From the Hebrew, it's best understood that God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering my son, because um, Moses was trying to stress um, what Abraham was stressing is that God is the key figure here. God will provide for himself the lamb. 
Um, and then uh, in verse 9, it tells us that, uh, again, step by step by step, Abraham built an altar, and he placed the wood in order, and then he bound Isaac, and then he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So I, I want to know what you picture by the phrase, Abraham stretched out his hand. What, what, does, that pic, what does that look like in your mind? So I'm seeing, yeah. So how many of you picture this? Like with a knife in his, like this, a knife in his hand? Yeah. And then I saw someone shake their head. So what were you thinking? Reaching for the knife. Reaching for the knife, okay. So the knife's down and he's, he stretched out his hand to get the knife and then he's going to slay his son. That's good. I, I always assumed that it was the first, but um, it's possible based on a reading of Leviticus, it gave me another picture in my mind, so I just want to share it. It's possible ex- exegetical help. Leviticus 1.4 says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And so now, in my mind, I picture that when Abraham stretches out his hand, he's placing it on the head of his son, Isaac. And I stumbled across some, uh, some interesting artwork on this, and some of them are pretty vivid. When, when my mind went to this, I thought of, here's his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, and so he's placing his hand on his head in a way that I would want to place my hand on the head of the son that I love, even though he's been called to, to slice his throat. But there's some vicious-looking ones where it's, he's got a hold of the neck and the, you know, the chin to get ready to slice the throat, which I think is pretty vivid and maybe a little bit uncharacteristic. Um, but, but that was kind of vivid, and I thought it'd be interesting to, to consider that. And then the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Um, Now, this is one area where we're going to get just a little bit geeky because it's very interesting, um, the poetry of the narrative, um, because the Hebrew word for angel is malach, and the Hebrew word for knife is ma'akalet. And so to them, those are very similar sounding words. And so what's compelling with the, the, the rhyming of them is that the angel of the Lord, or Yahweh, stopped the knife. And, um, and I found that interesting. Uh, and we, you know, we, we can't see that in the English, and I, I, I find it uh, quite interesting and compelling. So... So God, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, is the second person of the the Trinity. It's the pre-incarnate Yeshua Yahweh. um, And he calls out to Abraham to stop. And his proclamation is, do not lay your uh, your hand on the lad. And he emphasizes, don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Now... um, the, the, the words, now I know, demonstrate the conclusion of the test from verse 1. Um, verse 1 was, I'm going to test you, Abraham. 
And now this is essentially the conclusion of the test. He says, now I know. Now there's something interesting about this because um, there are some texts that translate um, uh, translate this phrase as, now I I have made known that you fear God, or now you have made known that you fear God. And the implication is that God already knew what Abraham would do. God, before the foundation of the world, set in order what was going to take place, and he chose to do it through Abraham. Um, And so, on one hand, it's not that God finally knew, but that it was demonstrated. And there are uh, Syriac texts um, and some other Jewish writings that that give that implication. Um, And in Syriac, it literally can be read as either because... You, you have made known or I have made known. Now that being said, it's 8.01 and I do have to teach next week. I, was, I actually thought that I would get this whole lesson done in one week and figure out something fun and exciting for next week. But I don't want to rush because there's a lot of good stuff that I haven't, like the whole reason I'm in this passage, I, I haven't hardly even touched on yet. So what I'll do is I'll ask, are there any questions before we close up temporarily at, at the end of verse 12. Keith. I don't see any indication that, that Abraham prayed that this wouldn't, he wouldn't have to do this, whereas Jesus <coughs> prayed, I don't want to go to the cross. Right. Is that just... No, I, don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think that's in there at all. And I think the, more, the, the closer um, type would have been um, Isaac. If, if Isaac had said, Dad, I don't really want to do this, um, but if you're compelling me to do this out of respect and honor, I will do what you ask. But all we, all we can tell is that Isaac willingly went to the altar. He could have fought his father when he bound him. There are potentially some implications on why he bothered binding him at all. Um, but he did, and, and the sense is that he took his time with each portion, and then he tied his son, laid him on the altar, and his son said, okay. His dad told him, God will provide, and his dad said, we're going to go do this, and we're going to come back together. And so he trusted until he had a question. Well, I was wondering, you, you said that you were certain that Abraham did not know that it was prophetic, but he said... That God would provide a lamb. It seems like, from what Jesus says, that Abraham saw his day. When did he see it? Yeah, I. Um, that's a great question because that's like half of the main point that I'm trying to do today, right? And so, if I don't get that across, then then I haven't seized the day. So, um, I believe I believe that it's um, it's in two senses because. Uh, Isaac went willingly to the sacrifice just as Jesus would do. And, um, and then in um, the rescue of Isaac, God did provide the lamb. And then um, uh, Abraham even repeats again, on this mount, the Lord will provide. Um, and so he's, he's seeing that um, Yahweh provides for himself a lamb. And there's some 
play on words in there and stuff. So I think it's the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of Isaac to um, to be this burnt offering, this atonement, um, and then uh, it, it, after the ram is is identified and sacrificed, that he's seeing how it all ties together and is pointing to the Lord. Uh, God will provide. That's how I think it it ties. Is that helpful? Yes. I think when he told Isaac on the way up the mountain, God will provide himself a lamb, he he didn't necessarily believe that when they got up there that he wouldn't have to kill Isaac because he was doing everything in order to kill Isaac until God told him not to. So that's why I think that that part wasn't prophetic. At least he didn't think it was then. And then after that, it is prophetic. Does that make sense, the distinction? Because he says it again later that um, he, he names the mountain Yahweh will provide. I'm saying he didn't know on the way up, but on the way down he did. I called it. Uh, yeah, Tim. Yeah. Uh, it, well, we believe Abraham did. So. Could we say Isaac? Could we also say it's like almost in the tenth commandments that the son splits the fire and the And actually, I mean, he he could have had the the young men there to do it, but the the implication is that uh, Abraham did it, but. But every every good father tasks. All right, so now we know what we're looking at next week, and um, so come, be excited. I'm going to tell you what the word provide really means. I'm excited about that. I'll get a little nerdy with you. Um, there's themes that are running through here that I want to share with you, and then I want to tie more on the connection between Isaac and Jesus, and I want to look at what is Mount Moriah, and is that at all relevant to what's going on when Jesus goes to the cross? So we have some good things to cover. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that um, you would bless our studies, and um, I pray that... um, it would be an encouragement uh, to your people, and I, I'm grateful for a second opportunity to clarify anything that was uh, confusing, and so I pray that you would help me uh, with my words as we continue forward. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.